Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Well, we've been going through a new series and uh, we hadn't done one for a while. And we've been talking about the vision and the values of Faith Point Church. And uh, as the church continues to grow, there's many of you that haven't been with us from the beginning. And, uh, and it's very important as we see a, a growing church to understand why was this church birthed? Three years ago, why, was this, why did God have it in his heart to birth this church? And so I've shared a bit of the vision and I've been sharing the values, and the values are things that we place weight upon. So a value is something that is important to you. So you might have a value of hygiene. I pray you do. <laughs> so you take a shower once a week, I mean once a day, and, uh, or twice a day, because you have a value. So because you value hygiene, you practice it. You don't give lip service and say, yeah, I'm a real sweet-smelling guy. And you have a shower once a week, and you never use deodorant. So you get my point. So we put into practice the things that we really believe in, the things that we value that are important to us. And so I'm on this journey of sharing with you the top 10, because there's so many things. How can you, how can you get down to 10 things that you really value. You have to sift a lot of things out in order to, uh, to um, summarise down what God has really placed uh, in our hearts as leaders in this church. And so the last time we talked about the value of praise and worship, that we want to be a church who worships God wholeheartedly. And, uh, and in that moment, when we're seeking God in spirit and truth, you saw what happened this morning. Tears, shaking, the anointing of the spirit moving in people's lives. Do you know why that happened? It, because we first took a step towards God and he took three back to us. And the Bible says, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And so all we're doing is putting them to practice the word of God. The Bible says the Father is seeking worshippers. You know that God is actively roaming the earth, seeking for people who know how to worship him. And as, as he discovers us, there's a new connection that's made between your heart and God's heart. And, uh, and so I commend you, Janice, for your courage this morning of pushing through and bringing us into that place of the throne room and the team that uh, so ably backed you this morning. So secondly, I want to talk about a... A value in this church. And when I share it with you this morning, some of you may cringe because it's actually a value I've never preached on. And there's a reason why I've never preached on this value that I'm going to share with you this morning. And that is because it has been, it has been twisted and manipulated by certain sections of the body of Christ. But I want to try and put a true biblical value on it today for you. And to show you why it's right up in our top 10 as a value, and that is establishing a culture of honour in this church. And to find out what the Bible has to say about honour. Because immediately many people, as soon as they hear it in the church, they think, ah, I know what it means, and I've seen it happen. We begin to preach on honour, 
and everybody gets honoured in the church except the congregation. So the honour only goes one way, and it's all towards the pastor. And before long, the pastor who was a lowly shepherd becomes a mighty king. <laughs> because all the honour has gone back to him. That's not how the Bible teaches honour. Yes, the Bible does say to honour leaders, but honour is bi-directional. That means honour goes two ways. It goes to leaders and it goes to everyday ordinary believers who are living their lives for Jesus Christ, that God wants to honour every single person's life. And we're going to discover this morning, and you're going to be amazed in the Scriptures how God actually does that. So the word honour simply means to esteem at the highest level. It means to add weight to. And the concept of honour originally came from when value in currency was placed upon coins, shekels. And so if you, if you had a lot of honour, you had a lot of weight in your money. You put it on the scales and those shekels weighed a lot, that means that you had honour. And so value was given to you as a person because you had lots of shekels. You had lots of weight in your money. And so it is with honour. The more you put value on something, the more weight it has in your life. Can I say that again? It's exactly the same with honour. The more value you put on something, the more weight it has in your life. So before we even start this morning, I wonder if you went through your mind and asked yourself, what weight am I putting on certain things in my life that shows you what you're honouring? And sometimes we honour the wrong things. And when we honour the wrong things, they have a place of prominence in our life that they should never have. And as a result, as we sow and we walk towards, because you honour what you walk towards. Hello. And so if we're walking towards the wrong things within our life, we're giving the wrong weight to it and we're esteeming it and taking the wrong place in our life. It can be anything. We all know in Bible terms, Old Testament, the same old cycle went around with the children of Israel where they honoured the foreign gods that lived around about them and they gave honour to those gods and they committed idolatry. They turned away from the one true living God and they got themselves into a hang of a mess. But it's no different to the world we live in today. What are you giving esteem to in your life this morning? What things are you placing value and esteeming and giving weight to in your life? Because that will have the place of prominence in your life. The concept of honour underpins all of kingdom life. In fact, Jesus never operated without honour. Every single thing he, do, he did operated underneath the principle of honour. Every miracle, every breakthrough, everything that happened in Jesus' life actually happened when people honoured what he carried in his life. You think about that for a moment. He commended people who had great faith and he rebuked people who said, O oh, ye of little faith. Why? Because the ones that had little faith never honoured what he carried, therefore they never accessed what he had. Wow. 
And what we're going to find out this morning is that all true honour begins with our Creator. It comes from Him. He is the Honourable One. And He's full of honour. And He operates. He never operates without honour. And so as we learn what honour is as a principle and we underpin it in our life, all of a sudden we're accessing the realm of honour of the Mighty One, the Almighty One, and all of a sudden things are opened up to us that have never, ever been opened up to us before. So here's a, a classic verse from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Romans 12.10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. You like that? Outdo one another in showing honour. So, uh, you know, it isn't enough for us to talk about what we're going to do. Isaiah the prophet was given a message from the Lord to the people of God because they were always talking about what they were going to do and how they were going to honour God. And this is what God says to them in Isaiah 29 verse 13. Therefore the Lord said, And as much as these people draw near to me with their mouths and honour me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men. Wow. That's generally what we term today as lip service. You know what lip service is? Lip service is not life service. Lip service is when we talk the talk, but we don't walk the talk. And we can never live an honourable life just by talking about it. We've got we've to live it by walking it, walking the talk that God has given to us. The kind of characteristics of a life of honour is a life that's filled with grace. It's not driven by the laws and religious commandments of men. When you live a life of honour, you will find that grace will be right at the forefront. You'll be slow to judge other people. You'll be slow to criticise other people. You'll be slow to gossip about other people. Do you know why? Because you can't gossip about somebody and retain your honour. Because what you're doing is running them down. The kind of traits of honour is that you understand your identity as a son of God in the house. And that's both genders. That's daughters and sons. As a son in the house. And so you operate talking with others based on their identity, not their personality. This morning, you, if you believe in Jesus, you are a son of God. And you have the highest esteem of heaven over your life because you have inherited everything that Jesus has won for you. It belongs to you today. And I esteem you today as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We look for the gold in others, not the dirt. When we're people of honour. When we address faults with people, we do it personally, face to face, with gentle correction and encouragement, not gossip. What many Christians do is that when they find fault in others, they tell everybody else about the fault and never address the person personally. That's not honourable, that's dishonourable. We celebrate people for who they are, not judge them for who they're not. Hello, is there any of this getting in this morning? Hallelujah. We identify people by their glorious future that God has prescribed, not not by their troubled past or their mistakes that they've made in their lives. 
Jesus gives us a fresh start. Why don't you give somebody a break today in the name of Jesus? <laughs> and when we operate in a culture of honour in the house, do you know what happens? The house of God becomes a place of safety and security, not a place of threat and fear. You think about that one for a little bit. If you're finding church a very unsafe place to live in, then there's no culture of honour in that church. Because you're afraid of what people think about you, you're afraid of what they're saying about you behind their, their back. It's not a place of honour. People are given the benefit of the doubt. Not jumping to rash judgments about their lives. And there's a willingness to love. And if you're prepared to do that, that triumphs over controlling others. Love is the greatest. And where there's a culture of honour, there's a culture of love. And love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't manipulate Love doesn't try and control people and honour doesn't try and control people either because when you display honour, this is what happens. It's reflected back to you. When you display honour towards a person, we're going to see this one. I'm going to show you a couple of examples of how we can see this, uh, both in uh, some natural examples and some examples in the Bible. Honour reveals God, it doesn't conceal Him. When we're walking in honour, we're a walking revelation of what God is like, because he's a God of honour. Amen. Oh, this is why I love the national anthem of New Zealand. Whenever you sing that, man, are we honouring God or what? It is the most anointed national anthem in the whole world. God forbid they ever try and remove our national anthem from us. We'll certainly be jumping up and down and going to visit John Key. He's, he's in my electorate. So I will be going knocking on his door if he ever thinks about taking uh, the national anthem that we have today out of circulation. And a culture of honour heals wounds that doesn't inflict more. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> this morning. You know, as I, as I was uh, thinking on this, how many of you know the story of Les Miserables? How many of you have never seen Les Miserables? Wow, okay, let me give you a little bit of an explanation. It was simply the greatest novel of the 19th century. That's the 1800s. Okay? And it was written by Victor Hugo, and the whole story from start to finish is actually a mirror of the gospel story. People don't understand. When they go and see the, the musical Les Miserables, they don't understand. They're watching out of the pages of the Bible a story that was, came out of the heart of a man who knew the Lord. And so the story begins with Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean. <laughs> Jean Valjean was a man who was caught stealing a piece of bread in order to feed his young sister because they had no food and he was jailed and incarcerated for five years for stealing a piece of bread. 
He felt it was so unjust. He was a big man. He was a strong man that he tried to escape. So in the end, he served 19 years of incarceration and hard labor for stealing one piece of bread. And Javert was one of the prison guards. And he represents the role of the law under which no man can escape. We've all sinned and fallen short. And he was tirelessly on Jean Valjean's back. And finally, he gets released. And when he gets released, he gets released with a yellow piece of paper, which is effectively his passport. But on his passport is his criminal conviction that he served 19 years for crime. They didn't say what it was for. So everywhere he goes, as many know who are ex-cons, very difficult for somebody to give you a break when they find out that you've been in prison. And so he looks for work everywhere and nobody will give him a break. And now he's filled with bitterness, rage and hatred because he's been given a wrong, bad deal. And he's walking around with a huge chip on his shoulder. He's got no way of making money. There's no welfare. And he comes and takes refuge in a monastery. And he's sleeping in a monastery thinking nobody knows he's there. And we're going to show you a picture of what happened next. Now, some of you I know aren't into the kind of musical thing, you know, where they sing their lines, they don't talk them, they sing them. Um, but I want, what I want you to notice is, I want you to notice in this movie clip how the bishop of this monastery treats this man with dignity, respect, and honor, even when it becomes obvious that he is a man who has had a terrible past. So if we can just run that clip. Hey. You can turn it up, thanks. Come and suffer, you are weary. And the night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble. What we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. We have you silver. We caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. 
But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have saved your soul for I love it, eh? I love it. I love the story. It's a story of tremendous honour. You see, the bishop never treated him as he should have as a criminal, but he treated him as Christ saw him. And the, and the, and the story goes on to say that there's a tremendous clip we don't have time for this morning. Because of the honour that the bishop treated him with, he had a personal encounter with God that changed his life. And for the rest of his life, he served other people for honor. He took the silver that was given to him. He turned it into cash and he gave hundreds of people the opportunity for employment. And he served in his community as much as he can. He took on a new identity. God gives us a new name. He makes us born again. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Because we are honoured by what Christ has done for us. And you know, one of the most famous stories that we all know in the Bible to demonstrate, this is how God operates. He operates by displaying honour to us first. Even though we're sinners, even though we've turned our back on God in all of our lives, there's none righteous, no, not one. God still comes to us. Remember this, you didn't seek him, he sought you. Once you were lost, but now you've become found. God pursued you and he searched after you and he arranged circumstances around your life so that you could meet him. He first of all honoured your life by chasing you down to find you, to change your whole way of thinking, the internal mechanisms of your heart as you receive Jesus for what he's already done. When Christ the Son died on the cross for you, he died with honour so that you could become an honourable man and an honourable woman. And Jean Valjean completely radically changed his life. And the story goes on to say that the prison guard finds out his new identity and he chases him down like a dog. And in the end, he, he displays so many second chances to divert the prison officer. He shows him so many chances when he could have taken his life. 
like David did with Saul, but he never does it. He never takes his life. He lets him off time and time again until Javert finally gives up because he's so overwhelmed by the kindness and the goodness of this man who won't fight retribution with retribution, but responds with honour at every single turn of his life that eventually he commits suicide and jumps off the bridge. Not Jean Valjean, but the prison officer that was chasing for it is a magnificent story of the gospel so as we look at one of the most famous stories of scripture the parable of the prodigal son it's a simple story and really I think it should be renamed because this is the deal the son displays dishonor to his father. What a dishonorable thing to ask your father for a financial inheritance while he's still alive. Hey? So he gets his inheritance, he goes off into the world, and for a season of time, everything's, you know, when you have lots of money for a while, everything is fine. You know why? Because you have lots of friends, because they like your money. You're surrounded by everything that you want, but you don't have a never ending supply. And so finally, his money runs out. He's no longer got any friends anymore because they've all run for cover because he can't help them anymore because he's got no money. There's a famine in the land. There's no food. He gets a job looking after a farmer's pigs. And then one day he realised how low he's got when he begins to envy the food that he's feeding the pigs with. And the Bible says he came to himself at that moment. And he had, a, and do you know what he had? The thought that he had in his mind was, I need to go back and discover the honour that my father displayed towards me and come underneath his covering as my father. Even if it's just as a servant, not a son. And I'm going to go back and see if my father will accept me back into the house. What he didn't bargain for, friends, was that when he got to the front gate, guess who was waiting for him? His father. And his father does something that Jewish men, who are, who are men of authority and men of uh, reputation in the community, he girded up the loins of his garment and he ran. You never see a rabbi running. You never see a, a Jewish man running because that's undignified. And he ran to his son and he placed his arms around his son and says, you who were once lost, now you've become found. And you know what he does? He displays honour towards a wayward son. Does this have any memories for any of you this morning? How wayward were some of us? And he does three things. First thing is, he robes him with a robe that is normally used only for prings, kings, priests, or those that are in authority. And you know what he does? You know what that symbolizes? That symbolizes taking away the shame and the disgrace of the dirty, disheveled life that he come from. And he covers it all up with a robe. We call it the robe of righteousness. And he removes his son's dishonour by bringing honour to him, by clothing him with a robe of righteousness. The next thing he does is he places a ring on his finger. And a ring is symbolic of authority. So he restores his son and gives him honour 
by placing the family ring on his finger and restores authority into his life. And the third thing that he does is that he puts sandals on his feet because sons wore sandals, slaves had bare feet. He says, you're no longer going to walk around as a dishonourable slave, but you're going to be restored back to full sonship because when you place these sandals on your feet, it now represents that you are a true son in the house. And I'm now displaying honour towards you. Friends, let's just think about this for a moment. He hasn't done any acts of righteousness to deserve this. He's not being rewarded for his behaviour because if he was, he'd never be shown anything good. And true honour doesn't reward on the basis of behaviour, it rewards on the basis of position. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You have a place of honour in the Son. And when you come into the Son, you come into His honour in the house of God. Thank you, Father God, this morning. Let's not remember, let's uh, not forget this morning how you came to God. He treated you not as you deserved, but He treated you with kindness and respect. Did you know the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? What does that mean? That means that He takes the first step by honouring us and coming towards us through His kindness and He displays kindness to us when we should be judged, when we should, when we should fall short of all uh, any merit that God gives towards us. He takes that extra giant stride towards us and folds us in His arms and says, come, come and be a son in my house. This is the God that we serve. He's a God of complete honour today. And if you look through Scripture, look through the Gospels, if you want to see how Jesus continually operated on this principle. Zacchaeus is a Jewish traitor. He's a traitor to his own people. He's going around for the Roman government as an agent, collecting taxes on behalf of them, then adding another 20% on top for himself. All the Jews knew that tax collectors were actually pocketing a piece of the pie into their own pockets, so they were making money off their own people when they've been invaded by a foreign army. And Zacchaeus is one of these people. What does Jesus do? Does he take on the hatred of his fellow Jews towards this man? Does he take on the judgment attitude towards this man? No, this is what he does. He sees him up a tree because he's a short man and he wants to see Jesus. He sees him up a tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down out of your tree. I've been out of my tree lots of times in life. That must be a real Kiwiism, eh? Are you out of your tree? He says, come down out of your tree. I'm coming to your house today. Honour. Honour. You're going to that sinner's house. You're going to that traitor's house. You're going to grace your presence in that man's house. Yes, because God operates with honour before he operates with anything else. So he honours Zacchaeus with his presence. He comes to lunch. And Zacchaeus is so moved by the honour and the kindness and the mercy of God towards him. This is what honour does. When you show other people honour, it softens their hard hearts. It moves their hearts in a way that nothing else can... Jean Valjean would have remained a, a criminal for the rest of his life unless somebody had shown him honour and treated him with dignity and self-worth. Jesus meets a woman at a well. Taboo. Jewish men never meet with women on their own. 
anywhere at any time, especially if you're a rabbi. He breaks convention and protocol. He goes at lunchtime to a well where a woman's drawing water. They're on their own together and he begins to have a conversation. He goes to her. He initiates. He shows her honour. He tells her by word of knowledge, yes, I know that you've got an ugly past. You've been married five times and the man that you're sleeping with now, you're not even married to. Does he judge her? Does he run her down? Does he grind his feet into the dirt with her? No, he doesn't. He displays love, dignity and honour towards her. She's so moved by it that she runs back to her people and she goes around and she tells everybody about a man who told me everything I've ever done. And she became an evangelist overnight for Jesus Christ because God first of all displayed honour towards her. What about the woman caught in adultery? caught in the very sexual act of adultery, dragged out in front of her accusers. They bring Jesus into it and they say, what do you have to say? Because our law says we should stone her and put her to death. Jesus looks at them all and then releases one powerful sentence. And he says, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. And the Bible says from the oldest, the greyest, From the oldest to the youngest, one by one, they left the scene. He looks at the woman with honour, dignity and love directly into her eyes and says, where are all your, where are all those who condemn you? He says, I don't, she said, they've all left. And she said, I don't condemn you either. Go your way and sin no more. Do you think she sinned again? I'll tell you why she didn't. We don't don't actually know the story, but why she wouldn't have sinned again is because she had met somebody who for the first time in her life treated her with, as a woman of honour. This is the God you serve. He's full of honour. And when you catch his honour on your life and you start demonstrating honour to other people, you watch them begin to melt around about your life. Imagine us having a whole church of people who understand the culture of honour. And the environment of love and mercy and kindness and compassion that that can bring. We're not judging each other. We're not gossiping about each other. We're treating each other with honour and dignity and respect and self-worth. Wow. So honour, clearly, as some have wrongly taught, we must honour the man of God. Yeah, the Bible does talk about honour, honour towards leadership. But you know in what context? It's mainly in the context of being willing to submit yourself to their authority. That's how you honour a leader, even if you don't agree. (laughs) But it's been twisted to make pastors who are shepherds into kings by receiving wrong honour from man. And if it doesn't go both ways then we haven't fully understood the culture of honour that God has for us. And so the problem that we've got is simply this, is that honour in the context of church works as a body, which means the Bible says we have the mind of Christ. So that means that when we collect the mind of Jesus regarding honour, we operate in it, united 
and together as one body. Now here's my point. We live in such an individualistic consumer society that is always wanting to accentuate our uniqueness and our separate personal gifts that what we tend to do is that we tend to promote individualism and uniqueness above the concept of a united body. And when we do that, well, this is what we're doing. We're dishonoring parts of the body. And the Bible says, even more honor should be given not to people like me, who you see up the front most weeks in church, but to the hidden members of the body, the organs that, you, that are covered with skin and bone that you can never see with your natural eyes. And then the, the Bible teaches in Corinthians that we should esteem those parts of the body of Christ with even more honor. Because you take out your kidney, you take out your liver, you take out your heart, you're not going to live for very long. They're crucial parts of the body. I often think this, when we get to that day of standing before the judgment throne of Christ, you know who we're going to see that's going to be honoured tremendously? The hidden intercessors who prayed the hand of God around the world who nobody ever saw up front in a church meeting because they were hidden away in their closet praying for the hand of God to move around about the world. So, just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead. So I want to ask you a question today. How can I, how can you, how can we begin to, to actually adopt a culture of honour in our lives? Because to some degree, friends, we're all guilty of dishonour. And the sooner we can front up to that in our lives, the more we can progress and walk with the God of honour. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the, the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you may prove what is that good, acceptable and perfect will of God. In other words, the transforming of your old mind, that however long you've carried that around before Christ, when you come to Christ, God won't magically transform your mind. He transforms your spirit. But he says, you've got the job of transforming your mind. Hello? Did he say in this, in this command, did he say in this command, I'll come and transform your mind? No, he said, you, you take responsibility for the thoughts that you're going to allow to run through your mind. And if you're prepared to renew those thoughts, cast out yucky ones, bad ones, dishonourable ones, take them out of your mind, casting down every imagination that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, then you will prove what is my will in your life. You'll be able to get it. It will drop into your spirit and all of a sudden you'll know this is the way, walk ye in it. All of a sudden you'll begin to understand the plans and purposes that God has for your life because you've taken the responsibility of ejecting every dishonourable thought out of your mind. You're not willing to partake in gossip. You're not willing to talk behind other people's backs. You're not willing to enter the sin of murmuring because you are a person of honour. You are a son in the house and sons don't dishonour people. You see, here's the trick. I say, but God, I'm a pastor. My job is to encourage and build people up. 
By the way, it's your job too. But as a pastor, that's one of the things that I must do is to, is to build and encourage people up. And I think to myself, the natural man thinks to himself, but if I, if I build them up too much, they're going to get full of pride. They're going to get a big head. Here's the key. Next verse. You've been told to transform your mind by renewing it. Listen to this. Oh, amazing. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone, not just the few, not just the chosen few, but to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. When you renew your mind, no thought of pride, big-headedness, haughtiness can remain in your mind if you're prepared to renew it because you're going to eject those thoughts. They don't belong in your mind anymore. And there's no room to, for you to think more highly of them yourself. I was at a Christian meeting years ago and uh, I, I was embarrassed. I was fully embarrassed. I went to this meeting and I took my whole team uh, to this meeting. And there was, about, there was about 20 of us, all leaders in the church that we were pastoring at the time. And I'd heard so much about this man's reputation as being a man of God. And he got up to preach and he began to order everybody around. Everyone was running in every single direction as he barked out his commands with a spirit of haughtiness and arrogance that I've never, ever seen, ever before and ever since from the pulpit. And inside I felt sick. I felt sick. He was dishonouring everything about him. Nothing was good enough. He was a king in the pulpit. And his life just exuded arrogance. Because somewhere down the trap, he'd bought into the lie and he'd never renewed his mind that he was deserving of more honour than anybody else. Therefore, instead of being a priest, he made himself a king. Instead of being a shepherd, he made himself of a person of prominence in that meeting. Four weeks later, it came out in the media that he'd been in a homosexual relationship with his youth pastor. So what we were observing was a man out of control who was nurturing dishonourable thoughts in his mind. He'd never taken responsibility for rejecting thoughts and he thought way too much of himself, way more highly of himself than what he should have. And as a result, his ministry burned. You can Google if you want to know who it was. So when you have a renewed mind, you're no longer thinking more highly than yourself. As I finish this morning, I just want you to finish with this thought. Every single miracle that Jesus did was initiated by honour. Read the Gospels. Was initiated by honour. The first, the law of first mention in the Bible, you know what the law of first mention is? where God establishes a pattern and a principle in the law of first mention. Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine. John chapter 2, you can have a read of it. We don't have time to go there this morning. Turn the water into wine. This is what happened. Nobody really knows who he is yet. He's just started his ministry. He's got a few hangers-on few disciples, his mother's with him, they've been invited to a wedding, they go to a wedding, and something terrible and shameful happens at the wedding. A thing of total dishonour. They run out of wine. 
Now let me tell you, at a wedding, if you run out of drink for your guests, it is a shame and a disgrace. So Mary, his mother, instinctively knows that if she honours who her son is, and if she honours the Christ in her son, Jesus, Christ means anointed one, so if she honours the anointed one, then the, the situation of dishonour can be turned into a situation of honour. So she comes to him and he says, what do I have to do with you? Sounds like a harsh word. It is not yet my time. And then she has the wisdom and the intuition coming from her spirit. And she turns to the servants and she says to them, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Do you know what she was saying? If you're prepared to honour his words, get ready for a miracle. If you're prepared to honour the words of Jesus in your life, get ready for a miracles and miracles to start busting out in your life. But if you're not prepared to hear and obey the Word of God, then don't expect your miracle to come your way. And so what happens is, is that he tells the servants to go and get six massive, these pots were like this. They were up here. The common pot, the stone pots that they had in those big things. Many, many gallons of water. And he says, go and fill them up with water and take them to the master of ceremonies. Do you know how much guts and how much courage and how much it took for them to honour the words of Jesus that day? Because as far as they knew, they were taking pots filled with ordinary water into the centre of the feast. That's what I call guts and courage and faith to act upon the Word of God. And when they honoured Jesus' words, the master of ceremony takes his wine glass, dips it in, pours it out, tastes it, says, wow, this is the best. You've left the best till last. Most people put the best on first and then give all the rubbish wine at the end when everyone's drunk to keep drinking all the rubbish wine. But he says, you've left the best till last. You have honoured us. Here's the converse of that thought as we finish this morning. Here's the upside down reverse of that thought. Jesus went on to minister back in his hometown. You know what's coming. He preaches in his home church where he's growing up as a boy. Son of a carpenter. They are amazed at the spiritual authority on his life. But then they go, they were offended. The Bible says they were offended and they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph the carpenter? In other words, they were looking through a, a, a normal man's wisdom filter in their eyes and as a result, they couldn't receive from him. Why couldn't they receive from him? Because they never gave him honour. Honour pulls back the veil for miracles to start coming into your life and for the hand of God to move within your life. And the Bible says that there were many people who were demonized in the area, many people who carried sicknesses in the area. And the Bible says that Jesus could only do a few little things, not because he didn't have the power, but because they dishonored him with their unbelief. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Who's with me of building a culture of honor in this place this morning? I believe the sky's the limit for us. If we can grab a hold of this one principle in our life, but I also know this, friends. 
The Bible says the word's like a mirror. We look into the word and it gives us an accurate reflection of what we look like. Sometimes, because we have dishonored the word of God in our lives, when we look into the mirror, we see a dirty face. Because we haven't been honoring God with the word. And this morning, I'm sure that a number of us today have struggled at times in our life with the concept of honoring others. In fact, we've tried to get ahead in life by pushing ourselves forward instead of honoring others. We've been like the fabled CEO who's just a manager and he wants to get to the top, so he gets on the corporate ladder and he treads on every single person he can in order to make it to the top. There's no room for that in the body of Christ or the church of Jesus. And yet, friends, you can take a look around and you'll see that sort of corporate culture in many churches where the only honour that's given is to the guys at the top. I don't want this church to be a church of that. I want this to be a church where love is expressed and where we learn how to honour the Christ in one another. Honour on the basis of identity on who Jesus has made you to be. Not on your past mistakes, not on your failures, not on your troubles, but on who Jesus has made you to be today. Let's pray together.